The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, May 27, 2022. Coming up this hour. Stocks are on track for their first weekly gain in two months. Citigroup downgrades U.S. equities on the risk of recession. The U.S. and Taiwan plan talks to increase economic ties. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott will reportedly not address the NRA's meeting in person today. AAA says people will pack the roads for the long Memorial Day weekend, plus the WHO confirmed nine cases of monkeypox in the U.S. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm Scott Sadenberg. The Yankees win and the Rangers face elimination. I'll have that and more coming up in sports. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Sirius XM 119, and around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. And good Friday morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are on the rise this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are up about 12 points. Dow futures up 38. NASDAQ futures up 51. 10-year Treasury down 132nd. The yield, 2.75%. The yield on the two-year, 2.47%. NYMEX crude oil is up three-tenths percent, or 33 cents, at $114.42 a barrel. COMEX gold is up a third of a percent, or $6.90, at $18.60.80 an ounce. And Nathan. All right, Karen, thank you. Well, the S&P 500 this morning is on track for its first weekly gain in nearly two months. The index rose 2% yesterday, its biggest gain there in 10 days. Max Wasserman is founder and senior portfolio manager at Miramar Capital. I'm optimistic in the long term. It doesn't mean you could get it more downside, and we could see another 5 to 7% on the downside. But we think we're through the majority of the problem. I mean, it's been a bad market. I mean, the, the Nasdaq was down 30%, and the S&P was close to down 20. It could still go further, but we're not we're not bailing on this market. I'm Miramar Capital's Max Wasserman made those comments on Bloomberg Business Week. You can catch the program weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Wall Street time right here on Bloomberg Radio. Meantime, Nathan, Citigroup is getting more bearish on stocks, and we get the details live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. Citigroup cut its recommendation on U.S. stocks to neutral on the risk of a recession. Strategists there join an increasing number of banks in warning of a growth slowdown. They say with this high level of uncertainty and a lack of reassurance from the Federal Reserve, the market is showing elements of a deflating bubble. But opinion on U.S. equities remains divided. Some Wall Street analysts are betting on a rebound. They believe that the odds of a recession are overstated. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. Well, solid retail earnings helped sentiment yesterday. Today, retail results are not helping. Gap shares are down 16% after that company's first quarter profit missed estimates. We get that story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. 
It shows that operational missteps and higher costs are hurting the apparel retailer. The company, which also owns the Banana Republic and Old Navy brands, posted a loss of 44 cents a share in the quarter ending April 30th, below analyst average estimates. Full-year earnings are now seen at between 40 and 70 cents a share, well below the $1.85 to $2.05 range previously provided. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thank you. Well, U.S. futures are still higher despite those results from Gap, and sentiment was also strong overnight in Asia after solid earnings from Chinese tech companies. We get the recap from Bloomberg's Juliet Sally in Singapore. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Karen. The regional benchmark index posted its best gain in a week, rising for the first time in four sessions to set itself up for a second weekly advance. Alibaba and Baidu shares rallied in Hong Kong, lifting the Hang Seng tech index after both beat sales forecasts. Japanese equities also rose as the nation announced it would reopen to select tourists on package tours from June 10. And Australian retailers recorded a fourth consecutive month of sales gains, highlighting underlying momentum in the economy and a degree of resilience among consumers. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Juliet, thank you. In Shanghai, we're seeing more signs of the extreme steps being taken to keep factories running during a COVID lockdown. Workers at an Apple supplier, Quanta Computer, have started revolting against their bosses after they were locked down in their factory for almost two months. They've been fighting with guards and rushing past isolation barriers in search of daily necessities. The current system forces workers to live and sleep on factory sites. And now, Nathan, China is coming under even more pressure from the White House. As Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is vowing to influence China's behavior by shaping the world around Beijing. Blinken says this is a charged moment for the globe and says while he would like to work with China, Beijing cannot be trusted. We stand ready to increase our direct communication with Beijing across a full range of issues. And we hope that that can happen. But... We cannot rely on Beijing to change its trajectory. Blinken says alliances like the Quad, this at the same time the U.S. and Taiwan have announced plans to enter into economic talks, enhancing economic cooperation and supply chain resiliency. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ed, thank you. Meantime, the war in Ukraine rages on, and now the U.S. is rejecting a food for sanctions relief plan floated by Russian President Vladimir Putin. The proposal would facilitate fertilizer and grain exports, but only if sanctions on Russia are lifted. The U.S. says the Kremlin's blocking the shipments and stoking concerns of a global food shortage. And we turn closer to home now, Nathan, with the latest on the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. The National Rifle Association is holding its annual convention in Houston today. But Texas Governor Greg Abbott won't be there. The Dallas Morning News says he's dropped plans to address the event in person. He'll give a pre-recorded speech instead. Meantime, Senate Democrats say there's room for compromise on gun control legislation. We spoke with Maryland Democrat Ben Cardin. What I'd like to see done is certainly close the loopholes in the background check. Red flags are, are, are consistent with that. We need to deal with the military-style uh, and high-capacity uh, magazines that are out there that are, are the uh, weapon of choice for those who want to commit mass murders. Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And in the interest of transparency, we should note that Michael Bloomberg, the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent of Bloomberg Radio, is a donor to groups that support gun control. All right, Karen. Right now, S&P futures are up seven points. Dow futures up 12. NASDAQ futures up 35. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 
It's now 5.07 on Wall Street. We're at 64 degrees in Central Park, dealing with major problems on Route 78 this morning. We'll get you the details on that in traffic shortly. First, Michael Barr's here with more on what's going on in New York and around the world on this Friday morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. And if you're traveling this Memorial Day weekend, get ready for busy airports and roads despite the rising costs of gas and airfare. The AAA says more than 39 million people will travel 50 miles or more during the holiday weekend. AAA spokesman Andrew Gross says the majority of them will be hitting the roads. Despite these record high gasoline prices, we are expecting, based on what we're seeing for Memorial Day, that it's going to be a very robust travel period for summer. People just want to get out and go. A gallon of regular now tops $4 in all 50 states. New York City will bid to host the Democratic National Convention in Madison Square Garden in 2024. Mayor Eric Adams says this is a team New York moment. This is not about Democrat or Republican. It's about how do we bring resources to our city. The last time New York City hosted the Democratic Convention was in 1992 when former President Bill Clinton was nominated. Federal health officials say there are now nine presumptive cases of monkeypox in the U.S., including one in New York City. The city's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene said that officials will be treating this as a probable case and will continue its contact tracing efforts. Globally, the WHO says it has confirmed about 200 monkeypox cases. The WHO's Dr. Maria Van Kerkhoff is addressing misinformation about the spread of the virus. She notes that it can be spread through sexual contact, but it is not an STD. And although it is not a new virus, it's now popping up in countries where it doesn't usually spread. We are asking countries to expand surveillance so that we are looking for cases of monkeypox, um, cases of rash, um, particularly in uh, people who present at sexual health clinics or emergency departments. Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove answered questions on the WHO's Facebook page. A California parole panel has recommended the release of Charles Manson follower Patricia Krenwinkel. She rolled helter-skelter on a wall using the blood of one of their victims, including actor Sharon Tate in 1969. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Michael, thank you. Almost 5.10 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's Scott Seidenberg. Thanks, Nathan. Nasty Nestor lives up to his name. Nestor Cortez threw eight innings of one-run balls. The Yankees beat the Rays 7-2 at the Trop. Cortez allowed just four hits, retiring 14 straight at one point. Here was Aaron Boone. I think how efficient he got. You know, I had to work a little bit in that first inning, and then he just dialed in from, from a command standpoint and, and kind of cruised there uh, for much of the game. Um, but I thought he was really sharp. Prior to the game, the Yankees signing former Cardinals all-star Matt Carpenter. He went 0 for 2 with a walk as the designated hitter. The Mets were off last night. They begin a set with the Phillies tonight at City Field. The Rangers are on the brink of elimination after falling to Carolina 3-1 last night. Game 6 at the Garden tomorrow night. Elsewhere, the Oilers on to the Western Conference Finals after beating the Flames 5-4 in overtime. NBA last night, the Warriors beat the Mavericks to earn a trip back to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in the last eight seasons. 
Tonight, the Celtics look to close out the heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Tennis at the French Open make it 30 straight for Iga Sviatek. The world's number one defeated Allison Risk to extend the longest winning streak in women's tennis since Serena won 34 matches in a row back in 2013. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, Scott, thanks. Let's take a look at this market this morning. We have futures moving higher with the S&P poised for its first uh, weekly gain in what? Seven weeks now. S&P futures right now up almost seven points. Dow futures up six. Uh, NASDAQ futures are higher by 33 points. The 10-year Treasury right now is down 230 seconds with the yield 2.75%. Yield on the two-year 2.47. NYMEX crudes up uh, two, uh, three tenths of percent or 32 cents at $114.41 a barrel and... afternoon, a high near 80 degrees. More storms possible tomorrow with a high near 80. Upper 70s, sunshine Sunday right now, 64 degrees. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Tape. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. And European shares are higher. U.S. stock index futures are rising as well. They're all following Asian shares higher, heading for the best weekly advance since mid-March. That's according to European stocks anyway. The dollar is dropping. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up seven points this morning. Dow futures up nine. The Nasdaq futures up 32. The DAX in Germany is up half percent. Ten-year Treasury down one thirty-second. Yield 2.75 percent. They yield on the two. Year 2.46 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up six tenths percent or 68 cents at $114.77 a barrel. COMEX gold is up half percent or $8.90 at 1862.80 an ounce. The euro 1.0728 against the dollar. British pound 1.2613 and the yen 127.03. Bitcoin this morning moving lower down 1.7 percent at $28,900. Today we are watching for reports on personal income and spending out at 8:30 Wall Street time along with wholesale inventory. And consumer sentiment is out at 10. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Texas Governor Greg Abbott reportedly dropped plans to address the National Rifle Association's annual meeting in person just days after the school shooting in Uvalde that left 21 people dead. According to the Dallas Morning News, Abbott was scheduled to speak at the NRA gathering in Houston starting today. The U.S. rejected a plan by Russian President Vladimir Putin to facilitate grain and fertilizer exports only if sanctions on his country are lifted. The U.S. pins the blame on the Kremlin for blocking shipments and stoking concerns of global food shortages. In the NHL playoffs, the Rangers are on the brink of elimination. New York lost to the Hurricanes 3-1 in Game 5. In the NBA playoffs, the Warriors are in the finals. They won the West, beating the Mavericks 121-10. Global news, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Tank, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael, thanks for coming up to 520 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Let's turn now to another major story, a potential new challenge to China coming from the United States. Sources tell Bloomberg News that the Biden administration is planning economic talks with Taiwan 
That's after the island was left out of the 13-nation framework that uh, President Biden announced in Tokyo earlier this week. For more on this, we're joined live from Hong Kong by Bloomberg's uh, Chief Asia Economics Correspondent, Enda Curran. Enda, good to have you with us this morning. What do we know about these talks? What do we expect them to entail? These talks are meant to be announced over coming weeks. Nathan, the center of them seems to be all about working on areas such as trade facilitation, uh, supply chains, improving trade in the agricultural product, uh, products and the like. Some of those areas are quite similar to the pillars in that new Indo-Pacific economic framework that you mentioned that was announced this week by President Biden in Tokyo. Now, that framework, of course, doesn't yet include Taiwan, so it might be part of the process of inching Taiwan closer towards involvement in that. Uh, nonetheless, though, it's suggesting a closer economic relationship between the U.S. and Taiwan, but the details we have so far for our colleague Jenny Leonard out of D.C. doesn't yet suggest it's getting towards a, you know, an outright a free trade deal uh, per se. Well, that is something that Taiwan has been pressing for for some time, a free trade agreement with the United States. Have we gotten any reaction from China to this report? Uh, how would China likely react to this? Well, look, I think the Chinese response is always consistent and fairly predictable Predictable when it comes to this one, Nathan. They will always push back against what they consider to be interference in its own affairs. Uh, we, can cert- we certainly know that in the past, for example, when the U.S. has commented on uh, Taiwan, it has been met with a fairly, fairly stern rebuke from the Chinese side. But nonetheless, uh, the U.S. side does seem to be uh, keen to push for close relations with Taiwan, but at the same time, in Secretary of State Blinken's speech yesterday, as you know, he did mention the fact that overall U.S. policy towards Taiwan hasn't changed. They don't support Taiwanese independence, for example. So clearly the U.S. is willing to push the boat to a certain extent in terms of U.S.-Taiwan economic relations, but, um, you know, despite President Biden's comments this week, they're also making it clear that the overall U.S.-Taiwan framework hasn't changed. Does China... Uh, agree with that, that the U.S. policy uh, regarding Taiwan has not changed? Well, they're always quite, uh, you know, kind of aggressive in their response, Nathan. They're always quite um, abrasive when there's any commentary on Taiwan. They, you know, they want to make sure, they want to make clear it's a red line for China from their perspective, of course. Um, so, that's why I think we've seen such a ratcheting up of tensions between China and the U.S. in recent years and a ratcheting up of rhetoric because even when basic policy statements are reiterated again, they're met by a volley of, you know, rebuttal by, by either side, especially quite barbed on, on the Chinese side when it comes to, of course, the whole role of wolf, wolf of and the like. But I think when you take it all together, though, you see the U.S. inching towards closer economic relations with Taiwan. You look at that overall speech by Secretary of State Blinken yesterday outlined the, you know, in very blunt terms, just where U.S.-China relations are, I think it goes to show you that it's both, uh, both sides are, now, are in a very competitive state at the very least, if not edging towards something uh, even more serious than that. Does this have implications, Enda, for the U.S.-China trade relationship? Of course, we're in the middle of a phase one trade deal with China, and President Biden is considering making moves on the tariffs that have been imposed on China as we deal with this, uh, you know, four-decade high inflation that we're dealing with in the United States right now. It's a big question. I mean, by both uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen and, of course, um, other U.S. officials have made the point that they might consider, or they are considering, bringing down tariffs on certain Chinese goods. 
but that would probably be about trying to alleviate U.S. inflation more than resetting China-U.S. relations. I mean, that would not be a game-changer for the Chinese side either. Uh, they might welcome it on the margins, but when you consider that the U.S. is also reported to be, reported to be considering sanctions, ongoing san- sanctions against key Chinese companies, for example, uh, when, of course, you consider that the, you know, the U.S. is pushing for closer economic relations with Taiwan, none of it suggests that any kind of easing of the tariff story will be will trigger a reset in where China US relations are at and you know, even though Secretary of State Blinken did say in his speech that there is room for cooperation on areas such as climate change in North Korea and the like, I think the trajectory of US-China relations, at least when it comes to competition between both, is set and that's not expected to change anytime soon. Always good to have you with us, Enda. Thanks for this. Enda Curran, Chief Asia Economics Correspondent for Bloomberg News. Right now, S&P futures up 7 points. Dow futures up 18. NASDAQ futures higher by 37 points. And the 10-year Treasury down one thirty-second. The yield 2.75%. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Showers and storms possible this afternoon and tomorrow afternoon as well with highs in the upper 70s both days. Sunshine returns Sunday with a high near 80. Right now, 64 in Central Park. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow, and we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's catch you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. U.S. stock index futures are rising as we close out a trading week that has the S&P 500 on track for its first weekly gain in two months. However, one Wall Street firm sees more pain ahead for investors. And we get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. Citigroup cut its recommendation on U.S. stocks to neutral on the risk of a recession. Strategists there join an increasing number of banks in warning of a growth slowdown. They say with this high level of uncertainty and a lack of reassurance from the Federal Reserve, the market is showing elements of a deflating bubble. But opinion on U.S. equities remains divided. Some Wall Street analysts are betting on a rebound. They believe that the odds of a recession are overstated. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. Well, retail earnings helped boost sentiment yesterday. This morning, it's a different story. Shares of Gap are down 17% in early trading. That retailer lowered its full-year forecast after posting profit that missed estimates. Geopolitics also in focus this morning, Nathan, with the latest U.S. challenge to China. The Biden administration and Taiwan are announcing negotiations to increase economic ties. Talks would focus on enhancing economic cooperation and supply chain resiliency, but would fall short of a free trade agreement. Beijing has warned Washington about its relationship with Taiwan. And Karen, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has dropped his plans to attend today's National Rifle Association convention. The Dallas Morning News reports he'll give a pre-recorded speech instead while he visits the school in Uvalde, where 19 children and two adults were killed this week. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner is rejecting calls to cancel the convention. We just don't have that luxury of that option just to cancel a convention that has been on the books for two years. 
uh, where we are contractually obligated. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner says the NRA could delay the convention if it wanted to, but he doesn't think it's going to happen. In the interest of transparency, we should note that Michael Bloomberg, the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent of Bloomberg Radio, is a donor to groups that support gun control. And futures this morning are on the rise. Nathan, S&P futures up 10 points. Dow futures up 31. NASDAQ futures up 44. Ten-year treasury down one thirty-second. Yield 2.75% and the yield on the two-year 2.47%. NYMEX crude oil is up 6 tenths percent or 66 cents at $114.75 a barrel. And Bitcoin this morning lower down 1.5% at $28,900. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. This is is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 65 degrees in Central Park, dealing with a couple of big issues on Route 78. We'll get the details for you in traffic in just a few minutes. Michael Barr is here first, though, with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. In spite of high inflation and surging gas prices, AAA expects millions of Americans will travel this Memorial Day weekend. Spokesman Andrew Gross says AAA estimates 39.2 million people in the U.S. will travel 50 miles or more from home during the holiday weekend. Of that, 88% are expected to go by car. We've never had a Memorial Day travel period where so many people are going to be going by car. At the same time, you have these high gas prices. AAA spokesman Gross says people just want to get out and go. New York City will bid to host the Democratic National Convention at Madison Square Garden in 2024. Mayor Eric Adams says this is a team New York moment, not Democrat or Republican. The last time New York City hosted the Democratic Convention was in 1992, when former President Bill Clinton was nominated. Federal health officials say there are now nine confirmed cases of monkeypox in the U.S., including one presumptive case in New York City. Globally, the WHO says it has confirmed about 200 monkeypox cases. The WHO's Dr. Maria Vankerhoff is addressing misinformation about the spread of the virus. This is not a sexually transmitted infection. Um, we do know that monkeypox does transmit primarily from physical contact, skin-to-skin contact, um, and that includes sexual contact. Dr. Maria Vankerhoff answered questions on the WHO's Facebook page. Expect more baby formula to be flown into the U.S. to ease the shortage problem. The White House says more Operation Fly formula shipments should arrive, but did not disclose when that will be. Tributes continue to come in for actor Ray Liotta, who died yesterday. Director Martin Scorsese says he is shocked and devastated. Liotta was in big movies, including Goodfellas and Field of Dreams. Ray Liotta was 67. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. All right, Michael. Thanks. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with Scott Seidenberg. Good morning, Nathan. The Rangers are on the brink of elimination after falling to Carolina 3-1 last night. The Hurricanes dominated for the majority of the game, according to Gerard Gallant. Well, I didn't think we played our game at all. I thought we were reaching with sticks all night instead of finishing checks with the body like we did the other nights. Obviously, we, uh, to me, it was the worst game. 
in the five games so far in their series. Game six at the Garden tomorrow night. Elsewhere, the Oilers on to the Western Conference Finals after beating the Flames 5-4 in overtime. Baseball, Nestor Cortez threw eight innings of one-run balls. The Yankees beat the Rays 7-2 at the drop. Prior to the game, the Yankees signing former Cardinals all-star Matt Carpenter. He went 0-2 with a walk as the designated hitter. The Mets were off last night. They begin a set with the Phillies tonight at City Field. NBA last night, the Warriors beat the Mavericks to earn a trip back to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in the last eight seasons. Tonight, the Celtics look to close out the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Tennis at the French Open make it 30 straight for Iga Sviatek. The world's number one defeated Allison Risk to extend the longest winning streak in women's tennis since Serena won 34 matches in a row back in 2013. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Okay, Scott, thanks for coming up to 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report. Here's Bloomberg's Ed Corey. A big tax break for developers is likely to go away. The subsidy known as 421A has been used in about every big residential project over its 51-year history. The Times says New York state lawmakers are unlikely to renew it. Critics say it has amounted to a tax giveaway for developers. Officials have revealed an alleged retail theft operation. They say it involved an elaborate scheme to shoplift luxury goods from Bloomingdale's, Sephora, and other New York City retail outlets and resell them on Amazon and eBay. Charges have been brought against 41 people. You'll have to wait a little longer for a revival in the theme park segment of the junk municipal bond market. The owner of the Showboat Hotel in Atlantic City is taking out a conventional loan to build a water park there. The park was supposed to be financed originally with an unrated $95 million revenue bond. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. We're coming up to 538 on Wall Street now. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Podisk on 1010 Wins in New York. We're talking about a bounce in PC demand as more people head back to the office. I'm Courtney Dunahoe on KTRH in Houston. Oil is heading for a fifth weekly gain ahead of the summer driving season. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm reporting that early totals show McDonald's investors have voted in favor of a proposal calling for an independent civil rights audit. I'm Stephen Carroll on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been reporting on reaction to the government's announcing a windfall tax on oil and gas companies to help fund a spending package. BP says it's now reviewing its investments in Britain. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting Doghouse Farms has received the city's first recreational adult-use cannabis license. And those are just some of the stories. Our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. Cryptocurrencies are the opposite of a prudent investment. They're volatile have little practical use, and lack the real-world cash flows that underpin the values of stocks and bonds. Nevertheless, financial institutions are increasingly seeking to get crypto into employer-sponsored 401k plans. It's a misguided idea. Americans have a hard enough time navigating the retirement saving system without adding a risky option that even professional investors struggle to understand. And risky it is. The most established cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is down more than 50% since November. Other cryptocurrencies have even less promising track records. People should be free to invest their money as they please. 
but not in their tax-advantaged retirement accounts. And while crypto may someday prove to be more than a purely speculative instrument, it's nowhere near that point now. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board. I'm David Shipley. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPI and go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. And you can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go as we look at futures on the rise with the S&P poised for its first weekly gain in about eight weeks. We have S&P futures up now by 11 points. Dow futures up 36. NASDAQ futures higher by 54 points. We'll get perspective on this market next with Ivy Jack, head of equity research at Northstar Asset Management. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Some showers and storms possible this afternoon with highs in the upper 70s. Pretty much the same forecast tomorrow. We're expecting sunshine to prevail, though, on Sunday with a high near 80 degrees. Right now, 65 and foggy in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, and stocks are rallying as dip buyers return with European shares heading for the best weekly advance since mid-March. Oil is rising, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 12 points this morning. Dow futures up 45. NASDAQ futures up 52. The DAX in Germany is up about seven-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury down one thirty-second, yield 2.75 percent. The yield on the two-year, 2.46 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up six-tenths percent, or 60 Six cents at one hundred fourteen dollars seventy five cents a barrel. Comex gold is up half percent or nine dollars at eighteen sixty two ninety an ounce. The euro one point oh seven two three against the dollar. British pound one point two six and the yen one twenty seven point oh five. And Bitcoin this morning down one point six percent at twenty eight thousand nine hundred fifty dollars. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Karen. Texas Governor Greg Abbott will no longer appear in person at the NRA convention that begins today in Houston. Instead, Abbott says he will return to Uvalde, Texas, to meet with families impacted by this week's school shooting. In the NHL playoffs, the Rangers are on the brink of elimination. New York lost to the Hurricanes 3-1 in Game 5. In the NBA playoffs, the Warriors are in the finals. They won the West, beating the Mavericks 121-10. In baseball, the Yankees beat the Rays 7-2. New York and Tampa Bay dedicated their Twitter feeds last night to posting gun awareness messages rather than baseball stats. The Red Sox and Nationals won. The A's lost. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Michael. Thanks for coming up to 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak, and Ivy Jack is with us now to take a look at this market, head of equity research at Northstar Asset Management. Futures on the rise this morning. Ivy looking at uh, S&P futures near obsession high in the pre-market with uh, U.S. stocks set to snap a Seven-week losing streak here. Is this a dip you'd buy? 
Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Nathan. Good morning. I would say, uh, no, this is not a dip I would buy. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more pressure to come. There's still so much that we do not know, um, particularly as it relates to the fallout from the Ukrainian war. Yes, we just got first quarter earnings, and it was clear, um, you know, I would say earnings came out better than I had anticipated, and I think it reflects to some extent the fact that we haven't seen the full brunt in terms of the fallout uh, of the war in Ukraine, the impact that it's going to have on the cost of fossil fuel and energy, and how that's going to trickle out through the rest of our economy. So right now, I'm still expecting another 5% down in the, the market in the S&P 500, so I would hold off. Given that we have that potential for uncertainty with the Ukraine war, is the Fed doing enough here? Is there more that the Fed can do to tackle that kind of inflationary pressure coming from the war? I think the Fed is doing what it can do. Um, the Fed, you know, if we step back and think about it, the Fed is very limited in the tools that they have. And so I think the Fed will continue to, you know, raise um, the discount rate 50 basis points a couple of more times. And I think that's prudent because you've got to realize, even though it's the Fed for the United States, uh, the moves that the Fed make impacts the entire global economy. So it's very important for them to stay um, kind of predictable and to continue to signal what they're going to do and be consistent about what they do. So, you know, not to make any uh, quick changes or um, any additional hikes uh, until they can start to see kind of how this all is going to fall out. So I think the Fed is doing what they can do right now, given the tools that they have. What should they be looking at in terms of economic data, in terms of what happens with the war in Ukraine when it comes to being a bit more nimble uh, in their policy path? Well, I think one of the things that they're going to probably continue to look at is the the health of the consumer and the job market. Um, There's no doubt that jobs continue to be strong. Uh, The consumer continues to be healthy. You know, we haven't started seeing like an increase in delinquencies. So right now the consumer is healthy. um, And in terms of uh, jobs and employment, Things look very good. So if you're the Fed, they're probably going to continue to monitor all of these metrics. Um, and that's, that, that's really, I think, um, going to be very important, particularly over the next couple of months. Do you expect the consumer to continue to remain healthy? Obviously, the market was buoyed somewhat this week by the uh, retail data we got and from, from some of the retail earnings, notwithstanding uh, the gap results that came out uh, yesterday. We're seeing the shares getting pummeled there. But what, what's your outlook on the U.S. consumer? I think the U.S. consumer for the rest of the year will probably stay fairly healthy. I think what you're seeing with retailers like The Gap and some of the other retailers is, look, we're seeing um, a move away from the purchase of goods and more focus on purchasing of services. So this is something I think we should have, uh, we should be expecting to see, and I, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Um, it might not be good necessarily for The Gap and for maybe uh, a Target or a Walmart, but in terms of the U.S. consumer, um, I don't 
think that it necessarily tells us that the consumer um, is under pressure. But with that being said, as we go through the rest of the year, you've got to realize that we're cycling the stimulus, but jobs continue to be strong. So therefore, I think the consumer is still healthy. The consumer will probably remain healthy throughout the, the rest of the year. But that, that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't continue to pay close attention. Thanks for this, Ivy. Good having you on with us this morning. Ivy Jack, Head of Equity Research at North Star Asset Management. Karen? Nathan, it is 553 on Wall Street. It's time for the Bloomberg Law Report. We get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Joan Doniger. Republicans on the Senate Finance Committee want the IRS to start using scanning technology that would allow for faster processing of paper tax returns. Ernst & Young is looking at separating its audit practice from the rest of its business. Such a move would be the largest shakeup in accounting since Arthur Anderson's collapse 20 years ago. And a Labor Department investigation finds FedEx owes 235 Birmingham, Alabama workers more than $181,000 in back pay because subcontractors didn't keep accurate records and paid workers a flat weekly rate. Bloomberg Law, everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Joan, thank you. Another legal story where watching law enforcement authorities are facing mounting questions and criticism over how much time elapsed before they stormed a Texas elementary school classroom and put a stop to the rampage by a gunman who killed 19 children and two teachers. And despite calls from President Joe Biden for common sense gun legislation, there is a partisan deadlock in Congress over how to address the rising number of deadly massacres in this country. For more, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Second Amendment law experts Joseph Blocker, professor at Duke Law School. President Biden has called on Congress to end gun violence by passing common sense gun laws. But Republican senators like Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma say that no legislation could prevent these tragic mass shootings. Is federal legislation the answer? I think it's going to require a variety of responses, federal, state, and local. I think there are some kinds of laws that are best done at the federal level. Expanded background checks would be a good example. That's the easiest to administer using a national instant background check system, which relies on data that comes from the states. But at the state level, there's plenty of reforms as well, some of which have some bipartisan support and have become more popular even in the last five years. So the passage of extreme risk protection order laws, often called red flag laws, that's a good example. There's more than 20 states have those now. Almost all of them have been adopted in the last five years. So there's room there. At the local level, things are a little trickier because most states, right, more than 40 states now, have what are called preemption laws, which make it hard for local governments to regulate. But in the states where local governments still have some regulatory space, they could, for example, designate certain places like bars or you know busy public areas, stadiums, etc., as sensitive places where guns shouldn't be taken. They might impose licensing requirements on people carrying guns into particular places. So it's going to require, I think, a broad response at the federal, state, and local level. You know, we're waiting for this opinion from the court, and most people who listen to those oral arguments are anticipating that the court is going to strike down New York's law imposing special requirements to get a handgun license. What effect will that have? Yeah, I think the challengers in that case have reason to feel confident. I think that the New York law, at least in its current form, is probably going to be struck down. 
And what we're really waiting to hear is on what basis, like how broad is the Supreme Court's ruling going to be. The challenge is to New York's current system for issuing permits to publicly carry a concealed handgun. And the court could just say, well, New York standard is too strict or New York standard has too much discretion built into it. And that would be a relatively limited holding and it would still be a big one. Um, the court could go further and say, you know, permit requirements for public carrying are unconstitutional or they all have to be what are called shall issue, meaning based on you know, just purely objective criterion. Um, and those, those would be broader. And it's Joseph Blocker, a professor at Duke Law School, speaking with the Bloomberg student Garasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. Futures higher this morning. S&P futures up about 19 points and still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. A check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.